0: What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Sarah Watson, Chairman of BBH New York, Global CSO of BBH, a renowned agency and a renowned, importantly, strategy-oriented agency. Hey, Sarah, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited, Mark.
0: Well, you live this career that you've, you've had for a very long time at a very high altitude. And we're going to talk about how you got so high to live this strategy life at 50,000 feet. Give us a very quick run through your CV and your career, just so that people have context for what your days are like now.
1: CV very quickly is I've only worked at two agencies my entire life, DDB and BBH, but in on four different occasions. So I started at DDB London when it was BMP. Four years later, I went to BBH. I was there for eight years. I went back to DDB London just before it became Adam and Eve, actually, and I was head of planning there and then i came over back to bbh um eight years ago here in new york um to be cso Um, but as you say yeah these days i think most of my uh time i have a a global cso role as well but most of my time really spelt being chairman of bbh new york which is my favorite job that i've ever had in my life okay
0: it's funny because a lot of people listening to this are trying to get into some kind of strategy career and then trying to hold on to a strategy career and, and try to enjoy it and, and thrive in it. you've made so many jumps like what, what were some of the biggest shifts in roles and responsibilities that you've gone through like what were the main inflection points of your career?
1: So I would say that the closer I get to leadership and big picture, the happier I've been. The, the more senior I get, really, the, the sort of the more the more happier I am. I think I'm. I was a pretty terrible junior planner and sometimes i think now god if i lost my job tomorrow and i had to freelance i'd be like the worst freelancer because i'm not i don't i'm not i don't work at a granular level you know i don't create the powerpoint in all the detail and do the brilliant analysis and the research although those are things all important things that i metabolize i think my my superpower really is in is in grand narrative you know incorporating a lot of strategic complexity but metabolizing it to to, into a big picture Mm -hmm. um and it's funny and i say this and it sounds so easy and so um obvious but i mean it's only and i'm 20 odd years into this career it's only in the last year really that i figured out and made peace with the fact that kind of that's who i am and that's what i am Mm -hmm. and and made peace with the fact that of my weaknesses actually and so i wish you know if i were 22 again I, I wish I could go back and tell myself, look, you know, everyone is on their own path. Everyone is going to plan, particularly planners. You know, it's such a weird, creative and rigorous and analytical and, you know, and disruptive discipline. And there are so many ways to do it. And, and you really have to find your own path and not look at other people and think I'm going to be like you because... Mm-hmm. There will be no one like you. You you really do have to do this your own way.
0: Did you ever have hunches of what you just described, being a big picture person, being interested in grand narratives, and then having to deal with people either explicitly or implicitly shaming people like that by saying, oh, they they can't execute, they're not good at operations, etc.?
1: Well, and by the way, and yeah, yes, absolutely. And when I say that it's a kind of a recent addition, it's actually I've been working with a very interesting coach who's kind of given me some language to understand some of this stuff. But like, yeah, I mean, I carried a lot of shame that I, you know, I don't work at the, at the granular level. And by the way, the truth is, we need everybody. We really, we really need, you know, a, I think what makes a great agency, a great creative agency, a, a great moment in time is that somehow you just have all the right pieces. You do have the people who are messing with the system and you know, and disrupting it and coming in left field. And you do have the people who are very linear and holding it together and following the process. And you do have people who are working at the, you know, the granular level, landing the plane. And you do have the people who are seeing the big picture. And I think, um, and and there is a room for everyone and and everyone is very, um, is very important. It's equally important, really. Um, So I think it, it is, it is genuinely understanding your own, your own strengths and and yeah i mean it is hard when you're junior because i think ultimately and that's when when i when i said i found every year of this job kind of easier and more kind of nourishing to me um is that um you d- you do have to go through years of servitude where you do have to be in the granularity of things. You, you really do and you really must. And I don't think you know, everyone maybe necessarily even makes it through to the bit where you are allowed to think about the, the big picture. I mean, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm characterising myself. Of course, I, you know, I do love data and I am literate in it and um, not to mis- misrepresent myself, but I'm mm. talking about really kind of where my strengths lie.
0: Yeah. Well, there's also... A way to be flippant with an idea that I'm, I'm, I'm all about ideas and big ideas, etc. And sometimes I hear that uh, coming out of the mouths of, of students, like people who haven't even been in the industry. And it can sound like grandstanding, a sense of grandiosity that is not yet merited. How yes. and, and also can mean that people don't have to get involved with the details because they don't want to roll their sleeves up. It can definitely sound like yes. that. What's the difference between the way that you understand these words now compared to what I just described as, as something that it can sound like?
1: That is a brilliant question. I think it's brilliant. And I would say, and actually the answer to it probably lies in my own devotion to BBH. So, I mean, you say I've jumped around a lot. I mean, really, the kind of truth is I've sort of been at BBH since 01 with a, a little 18-month sojourn at DDB, really, is the truth of my career. And 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 the reason that I've stayed at BBH so, so incredibly long um, is is that I I really love it and I find it very enriching here because, you know, our number one belief is the power of creativity and the primacy of the idea. And, you know, ideas, we sort of, we do, they've been very unfashionable for the last decade, Um, but we do hold them in this sort of religious regard. And it is but it is the the nuance and the strategic specificity with which we understand them i mean you know we're, you know we're talking about big picture and fifty thousand feet and that sort of thing, but the reality of it there there is you know poetic specificity in really expressing an idea and understanding why this word is different from this word and, and strategically the mindset of who you're talking to and why this business is in a moment to be able to metabolize this idea rather than this idea I mean, that's what i'm talking about i mean this is really you know you you are absorbing a lot of information um mm and that you are then expressing it. So, so I think it, it's a brilliant distinction to make, Mark. You know, we're not talking freewheeling, footloose, um, you know, throwing mud at the wall, you know, disruptive thinking. We're talking, um, you know, this is a craft. This really is a craft. And, and, so, and, and what I've learned at BBH is really from the masters of this. Uh, I mean, planners like, you know, Jim Carroll and Nick, Nick Kendall, who you know just to see them around this sort of work is for me you know that's when I really thought god this is so brilliant and so and so fascinating this is what I want to do this is what I want to be so Mm. yeah
0: you just mentioned that people have held ideas in suspicion for the past decade yeah what's all that about
1: uh, it was the rise of digital, really, in that, and I think it was partly in backlash against agencies like BBH, where mm-hmm. it was all about the, the big ideas and keep walking and all this sort of thing. And actually, there was a whole, you know, the, the new guard was like, yeah, but what about the tactics? What about these awesome things that we execute that, that move brands and move people and, and move ideas and move um, businesses, but you can't articulate them necessarily as ideas you know what is the idea behind amazon there's not an idea it's just amazing execution there's no you know what is the big idea at apple it's not a big idea is it it's a it's, it's something minutely executed mm-hmm. um and i think that's there's a little bit of a sort of sleight of hand going on there i i think you know th- those are very unique businesses um that work in in very unique ways um but i i really i really do feel that there, you know an idea is a kind of an emotional unit a very specific clear emotional unit that people can do things with and people can identify and people can work with and people can activate and and it, that specifically adds value to a business and that's ultimately what we're talking about and there's by the way there's room for everything i think this is all the growing pains of an industry in a world undergoing revolution mm-hmm. um you know the this sort of conversation but ultimately at the end of the day I do think I'm energized by ideas and I think people out in the world when you see something an idea it just it 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 has an impact on your brain it's just something fresh and clean and new and interesting and you feel your brain growing and and that's what and that's what I love doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny cuz I've worked in digital agencies and in digital departments of advertising agencies but also in planning departments such as at Leo Burnett and McCann and I totally identify with what you just said that there was this rush to execution across multiple channels that did push away and push against the idea of ideas. However, I also do think that some of that, there was a bit of revenge in that because a yes. lot of the big agencies were very arrogant about their ideas. And I think as soon as tech and all the nerds popped up in different ways, and there are you know, definitely ad nerds presenting ideas back then, I, was, I think a lot of people like, like, I would hear clients say, I'm just tired of the arrogance of agency X. I still hear that. But 10 years ago, there were all of a sudden many more options for people to do work for you as well.
1: I totally agree. I totally agree, and and that that is part of this. You know that there was there was a new guard rising up, and and good for them. And you know, and this is what the world. This is what you know. And there is a new guard rising up now. You know, everyone, every generation has to find its new way in opposition. To, to the last one in, in, to some degree. And I do what I do find a, a sort of refreshing and energising about the world the, as it is today is I do think this is shaking out a bit. I think, you know, we've, we've had our digital revolution to a degree. We all know that everything's got to work in very different ways. We have to get into communities and, uh, you know, form relationships in very different ways. But I do think also, I think people are remembering again that... But there is always this question, which is, but what are we saying? Who are we? What is our role? And bringing the power of creativity to that, and that is ultimately what an idea is. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. So on on this idea that you've come to embrace about yourself, you mentioned that you've been working with a coach, uh, to, and, and, and that working with that coach has helped you understand the idea of you as yes. someone who's very much big picture. Can you tell us? About how that happened—is it in one conversation, a series of conversations, a phrase, as you mentioned before, that the coach gave you a, a set of words? Like how did, how did you, how did it happen, and and yeah. how did it, how did it feel?
1: Uh, I'm just trying to think the simplest way to answer that because I, I work with actually a fascinating coach who who works with kind of Jungian the Jungian archetypes that play out within yourself. So the aspects of yourself that are the hero and the jester and the soul and all this stuff. So it's it's very, very complex and, 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 uh, rich. Um, but actually it was, it was in a team context. So I was doing it with my executive team and we were just observing our different strengths and, uh, weaknesses, I guess, because it's very, if anyone's ever done this, it's fascinating to look at a team, uh, and just to see your natural tendencies. And it's also very um, very liberating because you think, oh, God, there are these things that I'm not good at and I, I, I feel ashamed of them. I carry this guilt with me. But actually, that is just how I am. And all I have to do is own it. All I have to do is... Um, is acknowledge that this is a weakness of mine. So And so, you know, be open about that and ask for help or make sure I've got the right team around me. So how did we get to that? I think it was, it was playing out in the dynamic of my leadership team, actually, that there are, and um, I don't think I'm breaching any, any confidences here, that we have one member who is all about action. We have one member who's all about planning and action. And then you've got me, who's at, at 50,000 feet. And so that can, if you're not careful, cause tension because I'm always looking at the big picture and the people who live in action are getting frustrated uh, that I don't move fast enough, for example. I'm really very much kind of paraphrasing here. Um, so it actually, it came out of a very, just a very fruitful process of self-analysis, but mm-hmm. um, yeah.
0: Okay, uh, I appreciate you sharing thoughts about shame and guilt. I don't want to trap you in like a, a dark corner with that, but I would like to ask you a couple of questions about like how did how did you talk to yourself what what were some common refrains that you found yourself using to reinforce a sense of guilt that you weren't doing the things that you thought that you were supposed to do and you really did want to focus on the big picture
1: oh my god we're really going here now Mark. Yeah, wow um, I... yeah but it, but it is true i mean you're right and and, and I, I did. I did carry all of this stuff with me, and it was. I think it's probably been a bit of an impediment to me, my career. And I wish if I'd have known things sooner, I think I might have owned it more. Um, it's like I, I could. I knew what I should be doing, but I could somehow never. It fell through my fingers. So I think probably what a, a good way to answer that to this is that I just learned that in any meeting, in any creative conversation all i am looking at is all i'm asking myself is the question what what is the big story here that people would care about and i actually i can't i can't access any conversation that doesn't have that thread in it and so that is both very powerful in the sense that, you know, if I'm reviewing work, if I'm creating a presentation, you know, if I'm speaking to a crowd, all I'm thinking about is why is this a powerful narrative? But at the same time, that also means that I will, I will disengage. You know, if, if someone else is presenting something and I'm not seeing the power in it, I disengage. Or And, and, and so I suppose it, it, it's, just, it's just knowing that 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 is how I'm operating and making sure I put things around me to, yeah.
0: To Could operate. you give me an example of a conversation that you might find yourself disengaging from?
1: <laughs> so it, it, so interesting. So I work with a non-profit i'm a sort of strategic advisor to them and we had we had an away day a a, a sort of a strategy session this week and it was run by a woman who is a, a lawyer actually she's a human rights lawyer who's come in to observe the organization and and she did this incredibly granular process where she interviewed everybody about what they wanted from the organisation. She selected the themes from that and then she did this quantitative analysis. She sent people back a questionnaire saying, um, you know, of all these big themes, which are the ones we should test, which are the ones we should action and which were the ones, I can't remember, we should um, study. And I was asked to comment on this presentation and I, I kept reading it back and I knew we were having a strategic conversation about the future of this very, very small, scrappy nonprofit. But I couldn't help thinking that all we're doing is analyzing the status quo. But because I know this about myself, every instinct in my body was to say, I don't want to do this, I think it's the wrong process. I'm not playing, basically. Mm. Um, but because I've now done this work on myself and I know that, um, that I don't, necessarily I'm always looking for the grand narrative and actually all my instincts would be doesn't matter where we are today where do we need to go you know that that is the world that is if you look inside Sarah Watson's head that is where I live what is the big story about where we're going but I also acknowledge that everybody on the call who worked for this um, nonprofit actually they were responding very well to this level of granularity and being, you know, being acknowledged, uh, you know, being taken through all the aspects of what they're building as an organisation, and actually the conclusion that I came to with the leader of this. Nonprofit was that actually this is a very necessary process we have to go through this diligence of understanding organizationally what we have and how we work and what we do and then but then there is a moment where we will definitely need to get into big grand narrative planning so i suppose that's an example of um of understanding what, at what point you can think big but at what point you need to think small
0: All Right, and so I don't know if I'm projecting onto you here, but it sounds like a combination of impatience meets disinterest, but also meets the inability to even comprehend something without there being an idea. Does that sound right? Yeah. And so I I relate to that on a personal level where if, if somebody sends me a pitch, A presentation, an article, a portfolio, a CV, if I can't extract from it, like, what's the point here? I'm like, I don't know. I'm useless. I don't know what to do here because the thing to do is to get to the point and then to build everything from the point. So I I think I relate to what you're saying
1: i mean i would say are we any different from anyone else ultimately i mean well first of all we shouldn't be any different from anyone else in the industry i think it's those people who feel this acute need are the ones that are drawn to this industry and i i sort of i don't i think storytelling i just think it's so overused as a word and it doesn't really capture what we're talking about but yeah I'm, this is this is the industry we work in. i do think this is human beings like we we've, we've got we've got to understand this stuff mm. um but then that's me again going back into my, my, me privileging the 50,000 foot view over everything else which i well, know
0: No well i also I, i'm glad you brought that up because words like big picture sound very important very grand very grandiose 50,000 feet does sound a little bit like a god complex Yeah and <laughs> the thing is that, that we need people who aren't just about the big picture. I mean, why, why isn't the metaphor something to do with lying on the ground, looking up at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel? Like, Why, why is it up in the sky? There's, oh, yeah, right. Definitely godlike, like right? Yeah. Um, so how do you even understand the idea of being a big picture person? Because like I said, it's such an easy thing to throw into a conversation as a way to sound more important. What does it mean in a specific way to you now, potentially even comparing how you might have thought of that idea, that phrase years ago?
1: I am the one in the room who draws the narrative together, I think. That's, that's what it means to me, who makes sense of lots of very, very unrelated, complicated, different, different data points, different sources... Um, I, I make it sing ultimately and it, it's very interesting like I think that the biggest formative experience I had when I was growing up so I, I, I play the flute so I'm classically trained flautist mm-hmm. and like, I did a lot of performance a lot of recitals and it, it was really some of the most formative moments of my life really you know God to stand up in front of a couple of hundred people and just play, just be you. And like, I think particularly with a wind instrument, if you're nervous in any way, like if you, if you hear it in the instrument, Like you have to be totally mastered and you have to hold that audience. And I don't, I don't know, I, I think in a way, it was that need to not only draw the stories together, but to make it sing and to make it connect with people as well. I think that's the other half of this. Mm yeah
0: so other than the flute experience uh you know a lot of people are drawn to psychology because they've had trauma in the family and they're trying to make sense of their families and themselves and and etc what do you think has drawn you to try to make sense of businesses and brands
1: so this is that's a wonderful question and i i do actually have quite a big answer to that which is you know i'm a child of the British 70s so it's a pretty austere times three-day weeks and I think all our parents sort of grown up post-war and rationing things like that you know I think we were all raised you know in this era to shut up to shut up and to know your place and to not draw attention to yourself and to not you know to, to basically be contained you know and I really my whole life really has been one of coming out of my shell and telling my story and just knowing how healing that has been for me. And ultimately my life's work in in advertising is helping everyone else tell their story to draw out this narrative, this 50,000 foot view. And I use the word nourishing a lot, but this nourishing narrative that makes sense of who you are and what you are. And I feel that I do that, you know, whenever I have the opportunity for brands you know, you draw out, it's, it's nothing new, you're not creating anything new, but you're drawing out with new poetry and, um, emotion and meaning. You're drawing out what is already there, but you, ideally, that's what I try and do in people. I try and do the people who work around me, um, and are on my team. You want them to find themselves and their voice and to tell their story. And I guess to have that, you know, that 50,000 foot, sense of what their role is in the life, in, in world, and what what they bring to this world. And I just think once you know that, then you've got your calling, you've got your purpose and, you, and your, God, we're getting very deep here, healed, you know, you can actually go off and be whole. You can go off and be a person when you know mm. what your story is.
0: Why the words draw out? Because what I think I just heard is that you enjoy drawing Brands and their meaning, and and the, the meaning of the people who work in the businesses and the brands out into the open, drawing colleagues, teammates, people who've reported you out into the open, and that you've been on a journey of drawing yourself out into the open to kind of recover or heal from that 1970s British culture. Yeah, where did the words "draw out" come from, and what why is that the why were they the words that came to mind?
1: Because they. Um, because I'm not imposing anything, I'm not creating anything. All these stories are inside. I mean, my story was inside me. Everyone's stories inside them, and the brand stories about them. And I think a very big moment for me was when I was working on Levi's with an amazing art director called Mark Schillen. uh He's now in the Bay Area. Some people may work with him, and he, he and I were just really looked into Levi's and the history of Levi's and um, and what it was to be you know like a gold miner wearing these jeans in california and what california means and what san francisco means and and what what denim means and like and it was all there when you looked it was this incredible story was all there. You didn't need to create anything. He didn't need to actually bring anything into it. You just needed to blow the dust off and shine the sunlight in and draw it out. And I think, and really that's been my method ever since with, with all brands, ultimately. What is the story that's lying dormant in there or that needs just needs to be turning like two clicks to the left and then we will re- it will really sing in, in its current, in the current day Mm. and I think it's the same true with people you know you can't create people you can't make them anything else but you can help them polish the gold that is in there and let it shine
0: Mm. what would you say you've been trying to heal from
1: um I think I, I've had an existence of extraordinary privilege, I will say. So other than what everyone in kind of pre-Thatcher's Britain probably went through, which was, a, you know, having to know our place and to shut up, um, I think I'm, I'm still still looking for meaning and looking for purpose and looking to really... Fulfill my calling. And, and it's interesting, I've been thinking a lot over this summer, reading a lot about it, thinking really what my calling is, and you know, your calling defined as the thing that you most want to do inside you, that you most can do, and that affords you the least energetic expenditure the intersection of that with what the world most needs and it does come down to gosh you are brilliant mark god you should be a therapist it comes down to everything that we've been talking about it is helping cultures and teams and societies and individuals and brands heal through telling their story and so for me i'm just looking to do that in the most powerful way i can I guess that's
0: mm-hmm. that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I like that. I've, I've sort of settled on the phrase for what it's worth that what I'm trying to do with the rest of my life, at least how I see it right now, is to help people who think for a living live. Because that's something that I need to learn. Oh, wow. So that's kind of... That's wonderful. That drives everything I do whenever I'm in a funk. I can recall that phrase and get angry about some of the things I've heard about my strategy folks in agencies that don't appreciate them or don't treat them as well as I think they could. And I'm like, right, I've got something to write about or something to do. Wow. So that's kind of how I've, I've started to assemble my own little operating system there. I and it's funny... Need-
1: Live in terms of making a living or live in terms of being happy in themselves?
0: All of it. So wow. first of all, you know, it's it's naive for me to say just live because, you know, if I'm talking to a 21, 22 year old with 50 to 100,000 college debt, you know what? Pay off the debt. You need to get a job or create something yeah. and you need to pay that off and to to also find a way to enjoy that. So it's not just like some esoteric thing, but it's it's a phrase that refocuses me when I need it to. Wow, but I, I like this idea of drawing out. Like, have you talked a lot about drawing out before?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's it's not new to my vocabulary. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Just yeah, nice. I mean, I do. I say it to clients quite a lot that like it's there. We, you know, mm-hmm. the best brands. You don't need to. We we're not going to add anything in. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna shine a light on what is there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with that. I was just curious if I was getting a sound bite or something. Spontane- right, yeah. Spontaneous, because I live for the spontaneity, at least <laughs> intellectually. So what is the big picture in your role as chairman of BBH New York?
1: So those of you who know BBH know we have the black sheep is our, is our um, logo. And it is, for me, it's about how we take the black sheep into the next phase and into the next generation and you know I have a global role but I have a New York role at the moment and I really feel that that is the one that really takes the most of my imagination and and the biggest opportunity for me the question is to be the black sheep in in America in 2020 as we're nearly in what does that really mean? Um, what does that mean for us as a community? What does that mean for our output? What does that mean for how we approach creativity? I think these are very big, exciting, wonderful questions. And so that is that is what I'm focusing mm-hmm. a lot of my time on now.
0: Okay. So you've obviously done a lot of thinking about this, but what is a black sheep oh. in 2020 in America or <laughs> BBH? What does that look like? What does it, what does it sound like?
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's somebody who has a perspective on culture and life and creativity that is emerging, that sits slightly outside of the mainstream. And then that they are given their creative voice, that they're given absolutely the, the safest space to really be themselves and really create.
0: Mm.
1: So, yeah. Yeah
0: and is that part of either the hiring like is that a formal part of either the hiring process or the strategy and creative approach that you deliberately go to the sides of what's normal and bring it in is or is it just Something that you hope people do?
1: Oh, so, well, it's always been latent in our brand. But what I'm in the process of doing, because we're just starting our sort of 2020 planning process, I'm taking the whole agency, half half, all, all the leaders of the agency away to really transform ourselves around this and to, to really double down and commit to it in a, in a way that we've never done before because I think America in 2020 needs us to do that in a way that we've never done before. So that's, that is a work in process.
0: Mm. If you were the chairman of BBH UK not to put any ideas out there but BBH okay. lo- London, how would that kind of discussion differ? Like if you were doing an offsite with a management team in London compared to an offsite with a management team in the US with the goal of what you just discussed around the black sheep and outside of mainstream, etc. How is it different?
1: That's a very good question. I mean, obviously, it would be it would be relatively similar. I mean, we're at a different phase in our business cycle from London because obviously they are the mothership and they are like 400 people, whereas we're more like 100 people. Um, you know, I think they, they've got a very different legacy from us because, you know, they have some very huge clients. You know, they work with the Tescos of this world, et cetera. Um, we're much sort of scrappier. So I think the the, the license that we have to change and to take risks I think is very different. Um, I do think though the the context of identity politics um, and what actually difference means in America and how kind of loaded that is with with emotion is very different in America and I'm not downplaying that it's, it's not important in England but I think it's a very very it's a much more heated issue here. Yeah. I think diversity in general is a much more heated issue. And so mm-hmm. I think we have to take it on in a much more powerful way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny every now and then, if I'm at a panel or conference or talk outside of the U S like, especially around Europe that every now and then uh, it's, a man will make a strange comment about feminism in public on a stage. And I'm like, um, what are you doing that for? That seems really unnecessary. And I don't think it would happen in New York and in America. And for that, I'm kind of thankful that I've been able to learn different ways of thinking. Not that I'm like an outright sexist or anything, but it's just, sometimes it just flares up like in France or something. You're like, that seems like an unnecessary thing to have said. Uh, Like a backhanded acknowledgement of an important issue.
1: The very, very, very different worlds. And, you know, and I was very much sort of uh, I- involved in everything that sort of the, all the Times of Advertising movement and just observing everything that happened around that. And also having dialogues with London and kind of the, the equivalent movements uh, in London. And it, it was very, very interesting, the, the difference in responses um, That that there were. It's just I I just think everything is so much more heated. The stakes are just so much higher in Trump's America. You know, everything everything is just so explosive Mm here. And so it, it it requires it requires you know special attention.
0: Okay. So I know we talked a little bit about guilt and shame and challenges that you've had being a big picture person. So I don't know if you've already answered this question, but what what's the hardest thing about being a big picture person?
1: Um, making sure that you bring everyone with you. So what I mean by that is I I don't think I have problems bringing everyone with me to the big picture. It's landing the plane, (laughs) make sure you land the plane, you know, acknowledge all the things that have to happen, the actions, put it into actions, making sure that you don't miss steps. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. And then, Last question. I'm going to use a little bit of a rude word, not at you. Uh, how could somebody who likes the idea of being a big picture person be a big picture person without being an arsehole?
1: Ah, lovely question. And I go back to my idea about nourishing narratives. And, and by the way, I, I first learned that word. I had a friend who married a rabbi and went to live, like, on the Gaza Strip or something like I mean, like it's some very, very difficult place. And she was saying, she was just observing on how hard it is for people to move away from kind of radical religious narratives because they are so nourishing in their lives. And that really struck me as, uh, you know, as a very interesting phrase. And, and that's what a big idea has to be. It has to be nourishing for everyone around it. It, it is only a big idea in as much as, it lives in people's hearts as a big idea and that they feel, they see themselves in it and they feel part of it. Mm. Otherwise it's just, it's just a a big slogan. It's just, you know, it's just a line. It's, it's not that. So so I'm very careful. I think my, my method is always, I'm sort of, I'm weaving this, I'm weaving this idea and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just constantly going back over what this narrative is, what's this story, and bringing in new elements and sort of testing them out. And if that's the sort of the way I work that I'm just always constantly just t- going back and telling the story and changing it a little bit every time and changing it, it and then seeing, refining it and seeing how it sticks. So, um, so it's a brilliant question, but I think, yeah, it has to be inclusive.
0: Right. Yeah. And then to not be an arsehole about it, because like I said, I've got people coming to mind who've used these kinds of words. And I'm like, you seem absent from the office a lot. I don't know really what you do. You seem to be using these ideas to make yourself sound more important. Like what, where's the follow up, etc. Uh, and I guess the word nourishing would also hopefully get people to focus on nourishing their colleagues who are different to them if they're the big picture person. Like you don't do the big picture at people. You, you don't do it
1: at people. You've got to see the you've got to see the light in their eyes, you know, That you test it and see the light in their eyes. Otherwise, yeah, otherwise it's just intellectual bollocks.
0: Mm. Love it. Sarah, where are you and or BBH most active on the internet if people would like to find out about what you're up to?
1: Oh, God. Me personally, um, uh, try me on LinkedIn, Sarah Watson, or on Instagram, Sarah, Sarah M. Watson, I am not the most active, but follows well, at BBH Black Sheep though as well.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much. What your fantastic interview. What amazing questions. I had so much fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I could do this for another ten or twelve hours. Uh but yeah, thank you thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Peace.